The Shaggy Jenkins Show. We have to make Russia great again. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of it. Today, we've got a lot to cover. Donald Trump and the uh, the Republicans are already gearing up for their fight with the Democrats, and it's not looking too good. Uh, There's also more in the Mueller investigation, as well as, well... We'll get to our news in just a sec. Before we do, some brief introductions are in line. Welcome to my show. I am your host, a critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal insane, but always centered in common sense. My name is Shaggy Jenkins, and you can find me at the website, shaggyjenkins.com, or on Spotify and Patreon. Just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show, or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Now, we begin today with a rather sad story out of Alabama, and it's going to be one of those things that I'm going to have to ask a very tough, very hard question, and, and we're going to have to all promise to be adults about considering the question that I am going to ask. The reason why is because it's two very sensitive subjects. One, a young suicide. In this case, the victim was a fourth grader from Alabama, student from U.S. Jones Elementary School, Mackenzie Nicole Adams. All right, so there's the first tough thing. And the second thing is racism. Because it turns out that Mackenzie Nicole Adams, who was discovered by her grandmother, uh, committed suicide over being harassed about being friends with a boy at school. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, you know, it's it's tough when you're a girl and you like a boy and stuff like that. But remember, this story is coming from Alabama, so of course it can't just be a normal, hunky, dory, cut-and-dry story of a young child getting bullied and committing suicide. No, this one has an extra tinge to it because we, we have to deal with racism. You see, she had befriended a young white boy and had started spending a lot of time hanging around him, sharing her interest in things like math and science. She wanted to grow up to be a scientist. Yeah. And we need more of those in this world, especially women from minority communities. But she had wanted to grow up to be all of these great things. And, and she she had met somebody at a young age that, of course, she bonded with because shared interest, Right. It wasn't good enough for the people around them. And and other kids taunted her, calling her a little black bitch, saying, why do you think that you're good enough to hang around him? And this is the thing. There's this one one statement that was listed in the official quotes that I I really kind of want to hammer down on on today's show. And it's going to be something uncomfortable for both you and me to talk about. So if you if you're ready for a cringe cringe-worthy moment I'm going to have it with you because we have to ask ourselves with one of these taunts what's the big deal because one of these students one of these students that was harassing young McKenzie said do you think you're white just because you hang out with that white boy 
And I know what you're thinking. Shaggy, you said this story was from Alabama. We're not going to go ahead and lead them a lot of credence. You know, we're going to, they're just Alabama. Let them be that way because they're Alabama. That's not good enough. It's not good enough for this country, and it's not good enough for a nine-year-old girl who killed herself over being bullied because she just happened to have a white friend. Now, this is the question that I'm going to ask you, and it is going to be very, very, (gasps) breathe deeply, very uncomfortable for all of us to consider because this is the thing that's at the heart of this argument, And, and these young kids picking on this young girl that I think once and for all we need to solve and answer so that we can see it's nothing. And that is, what is so damned good about being white? What is so damned good about being accepted by white people? I know plenty of white people, and a lot of them are just like every other person I know. But... Some of them, just like with every other race out there, are immense and total jackasses. And I would not trust them to make any decision outside of feeding and clothing themselves. Okay? And when it comes to that question, you're wondering, Shaggy, why would you ask that? That's a, that's a dumb question. Come on, let's, let's get back into the serious topic. No, this is serious. Because all my life, growing up as a little white cracker myself, I've always been told that by some, some sort of miracle that, that my skin color made things different for me. And you know what? It kind of did, and that's disturbing. Now, I, I was a kid that was also picked and bullied on. As, I mean, come on. You think a personality like this didn't earn some enemies as, as I was growing up? Uh, of course it did. I wasn't embarrassed to be smart, and neither was young Mackenzie. But at the same time, nobody ever questioned if I should exist in my current skin color or race. But yet, every single day, when we go to pick on minority communities across the United States, it's always under some varying degrees of what type of attempt they're making at whiteness or how much success they've had in acceptance with passing for white or getting, you know, a little bit of a white privilege card. The thing is, is that That has haunted me my whole life as time and time and time again, people are harassed in the South as I was growing up. Yeah, remember, I'm from North Carolina, not from Maui. Oh, God, my wife was so lucky to grow up here. But okay, I was from North Carolina, and and I can tell you that growing up, every, every action that was put out there was always under this guise of what degree of whiteness or white acceptance was it, was it, at. And this was supposed to be some sort of mark for how valuable minority communities were to the fabric of the United States. And that is, ooh, I can't say that word, that is BS, okay? That is wrong. It is blatantly and flagrantly wrong, okay? And, and this is the reason I say this, because from time to time, I do... 
I do appreciate the fact that people listen to this show and listen to the the, the, the podcaster at home and, and their kids are listening. So, so boys and girls, let me tell you something very, very, very important. White people aren't that big of a deal, okay? Um, if you live your life for trying to get accepted by the white community, don't. They have piss-poor taste. I mean, have you seen them dance? Think about it. It's not one of those communities that is one of those cultural superiors. There's better and more diverse cultures all around the world. And yeah, some of them might be of a pale skin variety, but when it comes to American whiteness, there seems to be some sort of value ascribed to it, and that is inherently wrong. And I know what you're going to say. Well, well, here we're about to have that constitutional moment with Shaggy where he's like, we believe these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. And that was written by a bunch of rich white landowners, but we had the elastic clause that allowed us to apply the preamble of the Constitution and its protections to who, whomever we desired. And that means after like things like the 13th Amendment and, of course, further on down the road when we started to figure out that racism was built into a systematic way and we need to apply some sort of constitutional norm to it, time and time again in this country, we've had to go to the law books to define that white isn't the only race out there, nor should it have some sort of special privilege or elevation in the judicial consideration of civilian life as an American. And yet, it still does. And, and these children got these taunts. The, you wish you were a white girl. You think that you're as good as white people because you hang out with a white boy. They picked on this young, black, nine-year-old girl with language and with an ideology that they picked up from somewhere. And I, I, I'm going to say something that's very heartbreaking as a show host, okay? Uh, we show hosts uh, have these visions of time to time of people being able to listen to our broadcast and all of a sudden the light bulb going off in their head and they have an aha moment. And they come to see the world through the information that we share in a brighter and more accepting way or at least a more informed way. Sadly, as much as that's my dream and every other radio host out there, it's not something that is going to realistically come true because I have been beating this damn stupid white people aren't that great drum for years. And it still hasn't taken. Because these kids, these nine-year-old kids that were picking on another nine-year-old girl, so much so that she killed herself. We're picking on her for trying to be something that really nobody should ascribe to want to be anyways. We're all just people at the end of the day. And this whole, this whole white lives matter more than others ideology, and this is the saddest part, 
as much BS as it is, and as much scientific fact that I could bring out that stereotypes are statistically wrong, um, racial uh, mythology that we've had in white culture in America for decades is all blatant lies and wrong. And as much as I could bring that up, adults, the ones that are still out there prop propping up this kind of a mindset, adults who are teaching their kids to pick on other kids for not being white, those adults I can never reach. And sadly in society, we will never reach those adults. And this goes to the heart of some of the biggest arguments that we're having in this country right now over fairness, equality, race and gender equality. And, and let's just be honest, the whole rise of white nationalism in codified form by the Republican Party. There's some very serious things that we are facing and all of them have to do from adults with a piss poor ideology still spreading that ideology to kids. And, and this is the thing. We'll never reach those adults. You need to just go ahead and give up that vision now. If you're somebody that is always like, oh, this is such a sad story, and you know what, Shaggy, I'm going to talk to everybody that I see that's being a little bit racist, and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, you, don't be racist because that harms people, and it killed a little girl in Alabama, and it can kill more people, and it does every single day. Stop it now. And they'll, they'll of course, look at me and go, ooh, ooh, you're, you're right. No, that's not the way it works. Adults are stubborn. Adults in groups are stubborn, stubborn, reactionatory, prone to make quick judgment, and very, very resistant to giving things, well, the rule of law. The actual weight of evidence going through some sort of trial where that weighted evidence is evaluated and some sort of judgment call is made. They want to skip that and just go to, I hate this for what it is, and boom, I hate it from now on. But that's what's happened when it comes to the life of this little girl. Because all she wanted to do was have a friend. And to her... And to people in her community, they're always encouraged. Don't give in to racism. Don't give in to white people being stupid. Don't do it. Don't give in to it. They're always told that in their households. And yet when they come out and then they're encountered by these white kids, educated by these negligent, racist white parents, they're told and called horrible, horrible things. And this, this should disturb all of us because here's the truth at the end of the day. This girl didn't have to die. This friendship was completely non-invasive to anyone else's life, didn't harm anybody, caused no ill among any of their households or families, and definitely wasn't a disruption to the school that she attended or the community that they lived in. In other words, these were two kids that were just minding their own business, being friends, and that wasn't good enough for other people because of the races involved. Well, I'm going to take a stand here on the show, and I'm going to say something that 
everybody needs to hear. White people aren't that big damned of a deal. Okay? They just... I'm sorry. If you think that because you're white that you are entitled to some sort of elevated consideration among other mortals on this planet, you are wrong. There is no debating you. There is no going to some sort of drama board and say, oh, well, Shaggy, let me pull out my graphs and let me, I can show you here. And No, there is none of that. There is no rationalizing with you. And this is the one thing that I'm going to bring up on this show that the mainstream media has been doing that I will not do. I'm not going to say we need to hear those people out. We need to normalize people being racist because no, we don't. And the more of us that take a stand and start saying, no, we don't, and no, we will not, when it comes to the stupid issue of some sort of nationalistic uh, uh, tendencies in somebody, some sort of white supremacy that you might see out there in the neighborhood, some sort of, you know, racism in whatever form you encounter it in, from now on, there is no need for the mainstream media to talk to these people because they are wrong. There is no need for us to quote-unquote hear them out because <clears throat> they are wrong. They are so wrong that they are ending people's lives and still claiming that nothing is the matter with the way that they're talking. You know, oh, what's wrong with being proud of being a white person and things? White is not a race. White is a color. White is an absence of color. Actually, white is every color in the rainbow. Black is the absence of color, if we're talking for about a scientific standpoint. But I digress. The thing is, is that at the end of the day, when it comes to American civilization and American society, this whole basis on white is right or white is different, white is somehow elevated over others, is BS and is wrong. And anytime somebody says, well, have you can... No, I have not because it is wrong. And the more of us that take the stand, that, that, that when we see these things happen, when our children come home and tell us that these things are happening to them, instead of looking at our child and saying, you have to toughen up, you look dead in your child's face and you say, you know what, this is a problem and I will fight it with you. Because it is wrong and son or daughter, child, we do not allow wrong things to stand in this household. And so if you are being treated a little bit differently because of the way you look, well, dad and mom, we're going to take up arms with you because it's wrong. We're not going to tell you to toughen up because the world is wrong. You need to grow up and stop that behavior by telling everybody that engages in it, no, it's wrong. And the bad thing is, as much as I try to, you know, bring some sort of little common sense to the world through this story, of, again, it's got terrible, terrible consequences. 
A young girl is dead. Our mother and family is devastated. A whole community is torn apart. Young kids at school are having grief counseling because they've never encountered a suicide before, and they're not even in the double digits yet. All because somebody wanted to preach a little bit of white is right. Well, it's not. It's wrong. It will always be wrong. And any time that you teach a philosophy that elevates one man over another man or one woman over another woman for some sort of religious, racial, hell, I mean, some sort of sexual orientation reason, heterosexuals are better than gay people, Anytime you engage in any sort of argument like that, you're wrong. That's it. People are people, and that is the only thing that we need to know. Instead of fighting about gender identities and, and acceptance of the No, 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 no. We don't need to fight about any of it. We need to accept that this is the world that we, we live in. People will have transgender experiences. People will have experiences of, of learning moments, of having to, 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 to face adversity. But one of the biggest adversities they shouldn't have to face comes from the listeners and the audience of this show. I'm talking to you, crackers. We should not be a part of this problem anymore. And any time, especially people, you know, that have kids... Any time that we hear of these little instances of racism, we shouldn't tell our kids, oh, well, that's too bad, you toughen up. No. We tell them how wrong it is. We give them the same speech about it's wrong, it's wrong now, it was wrong then, it was wrong throughout history, it'll be wrong throughout the future. And every time that any sort of state government engages in this type of behavior, their country crumbles because, <clears throat> morally speaking, ethically speaking, human existence speaking, it is wrong to engage in this kind of racism. It's wrong to engage in discrimination. It's wrong to tell somebody that who they choose to love makes them wrong. It doesn't. This little girl loved her little white boyfriend. Let them be friends, people. But we couldn't. We couldn't do it. We had to pick and, and, and prod at them until finally this young lady committed suicide. And the sad thing is, is, is unless we take time, if we, if we, if we, unless we hit the brakes on talking about how Trump is screwing up the country when instead of what influence he is putting out into the country and the people that he's influencing and the actions that he is influencing them to take, Charlottesville, anyone? Unless we're talking about that, sometimes we need to pull away from the headlines and realize that there's basic elements uh, in our society that we need to address. And one of those big issues, one of those things that should not allow to be stand, standing anymore is for things that are blatantly wrong to continue. And when this young girl came home and started complaining about bullying and the, the parents tried to, tried to work with her and everything, 
they were doing everything that they have been told to do by who? The white community. The white community says, don't tell your kids to take up arms against oppression. Tell them to accept it because it's the white people doing it. And to, to negotiate because the white man, you know, he's a negotiator. To be diplomatic, to be understanding because it's white people that you're dealing with. That is BS. It's wrong. But that's the ideologies that we have spread to them. So when the daughter came home, and told her parents about it, and the parents said, well, this is how you deal with it. They were only going from what they were told by the white community. And guess what? That was wrong. Instead, they should have been able and should have been empowered to say, really? That's what's happening? Well, honey, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Why is it when white people say that? It's okay. Think about it. Carter said it, Nixon said it, Reagan said it, Bush 1 and 2 said it. We do not negotiate with terrorists. And oh, oh, oh that's so strong. Let a, let a minority community say that about white people and see everybody lose their you-know-what. But the reason I wanted to start off this show with a, a nine-year-old suicide, a nine-year-old girl's suicide out of Alabama is because... Guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, we have to stop doing this to our children. If you want to be racist, don't tell your children. You want to be stupid and bigoted and, and idiotic, don't bring that up at dinner in front of your kids. Let your kids grow up with their own biases. Let your kids grow up with their own acceptance. Because whether or not you want to face it, especially you, white America, whether or not you want to address this in any meaningful way, the world, she is a-changing. And as things do progress and as they do change, it's time for us to let our children... Be free to be who and be around who they want to be. It's, it's up to us to make a better world. And one of the only ways that we're going to do that, and I, I hate to say this, this because we all the time say, oh, the children are the future, teach them well, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, okay. No, when it comes to racism, bigotry, and all of your little hang-ups on the world, maybe you're against climate change. Just stop talking. Don't educate your kids. Let them form their own opinions. It might be the only way that we save the country that we're in now and lives like young Mackenzie Adams. Coming up, we got to talk about Donald Trump and his contentious first day with the Democrats. <laughs> it's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Welcome to 60 Second Civics, the daily podcast of the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. Britain increased its control over the American colonies after 1763, following its victory over the French in the Seven Years' War. Parliament increased taxes in the colonies, 
rankling Americans who were used to managing their own affairs. Edmund Burke urged his fellow parliamentarians to revert to your old principles, seek peace and insure it, leave America, if she has taxable matter in her, to tax herself. But Britain instead sought to exercise ever greater control over the colonies. One example is the Proclamation of 1763. It forbade the colonists from settling Native American lands west of the Appalachians. The purpose of the proclamation was to reduce the possibility of war between the colonists and the tribes, thereby reducing the costs of defending the colonies. However, there was increased pressure by the colonists to expand westward in search of new habitable land, and they were upset that Britain would seek to limit their ability to do so. That's all for today's podcast. The show's theme song is Complacent by Cheryl B. Engelhart. You can find Cheryl online at cbemusic.com. 60-second civics, where civic education only takes a minute. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, and it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Warning. Too much consumption of the Shaggy Jenkins show could result in a higher IQ, a better understanding of the world, and not being called a f***ing idiot as much. It's the Shaggy Jenkins show. It's the Shaggy Jenkins show on the Pacifica Radio Network, live from our tiny little island of Maui in the 50th state of Hawaii. Aloha. Hey, if you'd like to find out anything about the show, or you missed the first segment and want to catch up, or you'd like to see some of the other shows that we put on, well, it's very simple. Go to my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or follow us on social media at Shaggy Live. Uh, You can also, hey, why not, you know? Become one of our members through Patreon and get some pretty cool stuff. Just in time for the holidays, go to patreon.com and look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show. Now, before the break, I was talking a little bit off the cuff there, and I'm sorry, I got a little emotional and carried away, but I was talking a little bit about the inherent wrongness of some of our... of our American knowledge, all right? Now, before I get into, like... One of the guys that is leading the charge of us going down this whole pit of stupidity. I, I, I want to talk about this this whole GOP attitude around Donald Trump as of late. Now, as you've been following, Donald Trump is in some very legal hot water being implicated in and kind of soft indicted through a name called Individual One in two federal, well, actually multiple federal violations of both campaign finance spending and working with a foreign government to, well, you know, 
manipulate the effects of a United States election. Now, with all of the stuff that we have known, because here's the thing. When it comes to Republicans and their, their, their big pet, you remember their big pet uh, investigation, Benghazi? Oh, they were so proud of how long they kept the Benghazi investigation going on. Years it came on. And, and, and you know what? They were so proud of how long it went on. And guess what it found? Nothing. Think back. At the end of the day, when and, and, and this, this started way back when there was President Barack Obama and ended when there was President Trump. So you would think that because the report was going to come out when Trump was out, oh, it was going to... Uh, Lock her up. Lock her up. It was really going to nail it to Hillary. Problem. That whole Benghazi council found nothing. But they're so proud of how long they kept it going. Here's the thing. Mueller's investigation has only been going on about 19 months. And <clears throat> it's found a lot. Some 12 Russian officials, multiple people around Donald Trump have been indicted, pled guilty to, or are currently being investigated for a litany of crimes. Witch hunt, once again, it is not. And this has soured a lot of the GOP when it comes to Donald Trump. They don't, they don't want to deal with him. They don't want to, ah, no, we don't want nothing to do with Donald Trump. We kind of want to distance ourselves because we know he's going to run again in 2020. And, all right, let's just be honest. We know he's not going to do that good of a job. Probably going to not get reelected. So they're trying to distance themselves. Or, there's Orrin Hatch. And you know Orrin Hatch. He's the guy that I've kind of... Uh, Went after a couple of different times on this show. Uh, one, because he supported moving, you know, supplements off of the FDA's um, radar into the FTC. And then that's why during the 1990s and early 2000s, a lot of people died from those supplements. Orrin Hatch was one of the main authors of that act. He's also kind of famously been against common sense. Uh, okay. And in this latest spat of it, this is the thing. Donald, Donald Trump, like I said, as far as the investigations have shown us, has been soft indicted on a couple of very serious federal offenses as of now. Now, there's, there's some legal experts weighing in about why he hasn't seen any legal action yet. And we'll get to that in just a sec. But by and large, most Republicans are kind of looking at this and saying, maybe we need to rethink our, our support of Donald Trump. Well, Orrin Hatch basically just says that, you know what? I'm on my way, any, I'm on my way out anyway, right? So in the other day, when he was being chased through the halls by a CNN reporter, here's the thing. I, I gotta I gotta pull up this quote. He he was running through the halls and they were asking about now that Donald Trump has been implicated in the Russian collusion investigation for Mueller and the latest filings of Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen showing that he was indeed personally involved. What is your feelings on this, Senator Hatch? And he basically says, quote, the Democrats will do anything to hurt this president. Okay. But I don't care. All I say is he's doing a good job as president. Uh, excuse me? 
Yeah, Orrin Hatch just basically went into what we like to call la-la land and blanket denial, but this is just it. I don't think, when it comes to people that still support Donald Trump, that you're going to hear sensible interviews, okay? I, I bring that up for a very, very legitimate reason. Okay, back in the back in the 2016 election, a lot of the people that supported Donald Trump were in the $75,000 a year and up income bracket. Now, these are usually people that are more affluent and have better access to educational tools. So why did overwhelmingly these people all vote for Trump? Well, they were looking for a change. They wanted to shake up the status quo. However, once the status quo was shooken and they started to realize the depth of its shaking, the more sensible initial supporters of Donald Trump started to go more towards centrist or democratic platforms because they didn't represent the craziness they were starting to see. And as time has gone on and the more sensible Supporters, and I am not saying that sarcastically, the more sensible and intellectual people that initially supported Donald Trump in the 2016s, now, as we get closer to the 2019s, are going, uh uh, no, 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 no. We have went way too far down the rabbit hole for my taste. And that includes state representatives, governors, federal representatives and senators, okay? All of the more sensible ones that, that, that used to be trumpeteurs, take Marco Rubio, for instance, are now kind of, as time has progressed, more along the lines went to, okay, well, actually, Marco Rubio started off as a never-Trumper, then he's the president and we should work with him because his economic plans are working, and then now he's right back to oh my God, we should investigate the president. But Marco Rubio, he's kind of one of the examples of what I'm talking about. He has looked at the evidence and has kind of said as a, as a person, as an individual, okay, you know what, this warrants some sort of looking into. But Orrin Hatch and other people that aren't the more sensible ones jump down the rabbit hole with Trump and there is no signs that they're going to let off. And that's just it. When, when now, when reporters and journalists and stuff go to find and talk to Trump supporters, they're not getting a lot of intellectual depth. And that is because the more intellectual supporters of Donald Trump have abandoned him. They've left because they saw this status quo shaking up thing that they were hopeful for has actually turned into a melee of chaos and, and collusion. So as such, the more sensible initial supporters of Trump are rightfully bailing off. And look, if you saw that meeting between him, Mike Pence, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi, then you will probably wonder, okay, what took them so long? Because now we need to talk about that infamous meeting that did occur. Now, this was supposed to be a very simple kind of behind-closed-doors, off-the-record conversation between oncoming Senate leaders, in this case the Democrats, 
and the president and vice president to go over the next year's agenda. This is something, by the way, that under every other president has been mostly routine. And if cameras were invited in, they were invited in for a very short period of time. It was a very, even if there was political contention happening between Republicans and Democrats, it was always very showy, very glowy, very warm. Hey, look at your government at work. Here we are sitting down with the Republicans. Here we are sitting down with the Democrats. Look at us getting ready to do some government. Well, we'll shake some hands real quick. Okay, thank you, press. You can leave the room and we'll talk. Now, that's the way it used to go. And today it was supposed to be, well, I should say yesterday. Yesterday it was supposed to be one of those kind of, yeah, very informal Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were going to come in, talk to the president about certain bills that they want to enact and certain agendas that the president has. I know what you're thinking. How could they talk to him? Because it's the government. They have to work together. Okay? Stop thinking that you're just going to be an obstructionist the, the entire time if you don't like somebody. No. You still have to connect to others, form allies, and find some way to make the damned country work. And that's what Pelosi and Schumer seemed like they were wanting and willing to do. But Trump called in reporters, and that is when things went off the rails. Because if you know anything about Donald Trump, he is a guy that is very famously against researching things and having any sort of factual basis for stuff that he says. That could lead to problems when it came to this whole presser that he had with Schumer and Pelosi. Once again, it wasn't scheduled to be one, but Trump knew that the uh, reporter pool was just standing around minding their business, so he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring them in, bring them in. Let, let them see me talk to these people. He, and that's the sick thing. Before I even get into this story, I can tell you that the only reason the press was brought in there is because Donald Trump needs something to make him look tough. He's under a lot of pressure right now. Insiders are starting to report that his nerves are a little bit cracky because, hey, that I word, that impeachment word, is looking like a very real possibility. And even if the I impeachment word isn't looking that big of a deal... The I indictment word is. So there's a lot of frayed nerves right now in the life of Donald J. Trump and his presidency. And it would make a lot of sense, mind you, a whole lot of sense if Donald Trump had some other narrative to paint. And that's what he was attempting to do. You see, the narrative that he wanted to paint had to do with Oh, well, you know, I, I don't care that the Democrats are in control. And he said that a couple of times. I could get the votes in the House anytime. I can get the House right now. I can get the House right now. We've got the Senate. It's okay. It's, yeah, he, he tried to marginalize the power that Democrats have just shown that they are going to have thanks to the midterm election. And even Chuck Schumer tried to tell him on camera when things were getting heated, Mr. President, elections have consequences. Now think about what he's saying and implying there. The consequence for Donald Trump is you no longer run this show with a deadlocked Republican House and Senate. There's a new game in town 
and it was because we had an election where your mandate was rejected. But Donald Trump brought the reporters in and started talking about how, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to find a way to fund this wall and everything. And Pelosi said, Mr. President, border security is not construction of a wall. And Chuck Schumer chimed in and says, you're asking for $5 billion? How about $1.5 billion, four times, you know, about four times less than you're actually asking for as something that we start? But because our border policies under the last administration were actually working and have been working since the time of George Bush, George W. Bush, that is, because these new kind of immigration policies and protections that we put in have seemed to be going okay, why don't we ditch this stuff that you're doing to us and go back to that and save the taxpayers the money, save the American reputation among uh, our diplomatic partners in the world, and of course, why not save the lives of a couple of refugees? But Trump did not want to hear that. Instead, he wanted to then bring up about how he had votes to do whatever he wanted to. And this is the thing. Nancy Pelosi called him out on this, and I'm kind of glad that she did. He started talking about how American people statistically want protection because they're sick and diseased people at our borders trying to get in illegally. And these sick and diseased people that are hovering around our borders are criminals, have committed crimes, and we have caught them and kicked them out of the country every time they come in because this entire element that we need this wall against is nothing but a criminal element. And to which Pelosi had to say, hey, uh, 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 the president is very fond of talking from a non fact-based standpoint. And if this were a public statement, and this is the thing, it did kind of seem through because I watched about 10 minutes and 40 seconds of them going back and forth, okay? And for most of that, a majority of that, it was Pelosi and Schumer looking at each other like, what in the hell did we walk into? What is going on here? And time and time again, she did kind of have to remind the president, Mr. President, this is an informal talk, and if you wish to bring up those things, let us get facts and attach them to these conversations and have that behind closed doors at a later time. And it did seem like she was calling him out and basically saying, hey, Donnie, baby, Stop showboating. Nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. So stop this showboating. But he kept it up time and time and time again. He went on the attack. And during the attack, he kept saying things like, you Democrats are weak. You don't want immigration. You failed the American people. My border wall is the only way to do it. And you will pay for it. Remember when Mexico was going to pay for this thing? Remember when the American taxpayers weren't going to pay for it? Why all of a sudden is it the Democrats that owe the president his GD wall? Anybody? Anybody? Huh? Yeah, that's what I think. I think it's a little bit of that. Um, you know, we had this thing 
back in the early 80s and 90s called Coke Logic. It's when you could clearly tell somebody was all, you know, high in on themselves, which usually was an after effect of doing something like cocaine. But they were so narcissistic that they, they thought that they were elevated so much that, that, that by will alone, they were right. By speaking alone, by virtue of existing, they were right and proper. It turned out not to be true, and time and time and time again, we've, we've had to kind of, well, especially on this show, take a pin to the inflated egos of the world and pop them and say, eh, come back down to reality. But Donald Trump's balloon is ironclad, and nobody is popping that ego. And it seemed that even though Democrats today wanted a very informal, hey, let's talk about what's happening after, uh, what is it now, 10 days, 9 days? Till Congress shuts down? Then we take the New Year break, and then when we go into the new session, that's the, the blue wave. We're in a new Senate altogether. New House of Representatives altogether. The landscape has changed. Oh, and by the way, if you're nervous about, and, and I did not realize this was such a burn, Chuck Schumer, and, and and I've picked on him on this show before for being kind of a lame comedian, of of being kind of one of those uncles that thinks he's funny, but he's not funny, you know, this little Sharpie and stuff at all of his press conferences when he was trying to, besmirch the Republican name. God, that was so laughable. But this this is one of the things is I think Chuck Schumer has been working on his burn game. As Donald Trump was talking about, you know, hey, I can get whatever I want out of the House and I won the Senate. I look, look, Nancy, we picked up more in the Senate. We picked up more in the Senate. Chuck Schumer said the president is actually going to brag about North Dakota and Indiana. North Dakota and Indiana. And the president walked right into it. I am going to brag about North Dakota. Now, if you know anything about North Dakota, it's a sparingly populated, mostly, mostly, highly conservative state. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those givens politically. Democrats don't really think that North Dakota is that winnable uh, territory because not that many people in this whole state per capita as far as the rest of the country is concerned. And then, yeah, they're kind of all farmers and stuff, so we know that they're always going to be towards a more conservative mindset. So, big whoop. It's like saying, Donald Trump, you won a shooting fish in a barrel competition. Yay, how hard that must have been. Be proud of yourself. You're a big boy now. Chuck Schumer's sarcasm there cut to the core of Donald Trump's whole trying to mischaracterize, a, uh, mischaracterize himself as a person in a position of power. And Pelosi had to kind of uh, make a couple of asides as well saying, if you want to talk about these things, we should talk about them in a more formal manner. You're not educated on these subjects. You don't have facts in front of you. You are quoting rumors and innuendo. You are doing this because the cameras are here. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, life vision that you had growing up. But never in my life did I think that we would be living in a country, did I ever imagine myself where we're in a country 
where our president is concerned more about his perception in front of the TV cameras than he is his prowess as a pragmatic leader. Say that three times fast. But that's just it. Donald Trump, instead of concentrating on actually working on anything in his agenda, is so caught up and so unraveled by all of the pressure coming from the Mueller investigation that, let's face it, he's trying to win public brownie points. And his meeting with Schumer and Pelosi was another instance where he was trying to prop himself as strong, powerful leader, just like good friend Vladimir Putin. But it didn't work. He got called on his stuff. And, and this is one of the things that I don't think a lot of reporters are bringing up. Did anybody notice how stoic and <clears throat> silent Mike Pence was in that meeting? Almost as if he was trying to stay uninvolved. Like, please don't notice me. Please don't notice me. Please don't notice me. Or has it become that Trump, in his big grab for power has got Mike Pence. And this is something that political insiders are missing right now. With 28 different people ousted around Donald Trump, John Kelly, his chief of staff, being the latest one, you got to ask yourself a, a very simple question. Donald Trump, who really does want to work with him? From the presser, that he had with Pelosi and Schumer, it was obvious that he was there on the attack. And at this point, with all of this stuff kind of having a timeline connection to when the investigation heats up against him, Donald Trump tries to make himself seem strong by doing something against some world leader or with a world leader, or tries to make himself look strong by taking to Twitter account and attacking people, or, or bad-mouthing. Democrats or uh, political enemies in front of reporting cameras. These are the actions of somebody that is trying to show that they have strength, but is obviously starting to acknowledge that they may not. And with the possibility of an impeachment coming to Donald Trump in the months and, well, you know, the rest of his term, he's going to have to be on watch for this. With that prospect now becoming very real... Unlike sensible diplomatic politicians, unlike them, instead of Donald Trump kind of smoothing things out and starting to show a solid effort of reaching across the aisle and working with Democrats and starting to push forward on different agendas, instead of doing any of those things that would be, dare I say, smart, Donald Trump is going on the attack hoping against all odds that that will win him more approval because right now the president's approval as far as his job rating as an all-time low and here's the thing when it comes to his arch nemesis Robert Mueller the opinion that Donald Trump is actually doing things in a fair and transparent manner, that there's no collusion, that he's handling this thing like a big boy president with all the grace that is supposed to be imbued to that office. In poll after poll, Donald Trump, when it comes to the approval rating of is he doing America right and is his is his handling of the Mueller investigation on the up and up. 
Donald Trump has less than a 30% approval rating. Less than a third of Americans right now believe in Donald Trump. They don't believe that he's innocent. They don't believe that he's handling this investigation as a president in a lawful and transparent way, what with his weird appointments and firings all the time, nor do they think, as somebody that's being investigated, that he's handling it all that well. Because, let's face it, if you're trying to kind of keep the heat off of you when you're being investigated, you would have a poker face. And Donald Trump's face, no, it's not. Will he be impeached, though? Will his worries and nightmares come true? We'll have to find out some other time. Tomorrow, we'll have the new uh, weekend review. Till then, love you, mean it. Get in, bye.